1: Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams.
2: Folks, welcome again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. So glad you're with us. Uh, And so is Pete Paquette. He's our engineer, uh, gets us on the air. Andrew Herdliska produces the show. And Andy has produced Christy Shavers Stutzman, former Indiana State Representative from 18 to 2020. We're going to talk about her book, The Spiritual Price of Political Silence. Christy, welcome to Orlando. Hope you're well.
0: Thank you so much. It's great to be with you, Pat.
2: Tell me about this book.
0: Well, this book is a result of a fine arts teacher who loved writing music and being involved in fine arts. Kind of waking up one day and realizing that I should probably be involved in my my uh, local government and community. So um, it actually happened after nine eleven. My husband and I had just had our first child three weeks before nine eleven happened, and we just decided to look around and get involved in our community and make sure that we were had had good leadership and. So we uh, started showing up to local meetings, local community meetings, and when you do that, I found that doors open, opportunities present themselves, and pretty soon my my husband was um, approached about running for state representative, which he did. Uh, He won that first race by 249 votes, and you can't tell me that every vote doesn't count because, boy, it counted in our race, and it counts in local races and state races across the country, but um, so we got involved and uh kind of i had to learn relearn my civics class that i didn't pay attention to in school and uh realized that there's a you know to, to, a way to pass laws and and get things done with uh, in within the government so it was a great experience for us you served in congress for 6 years and i uh, learned so much there i served myself as a state representative and i had a lot of people ask me I don't even know where to start. It's so intimidating. It's overwhelming. Uh, Where do I start to get involved? I'm really concerned about my community and my state. I'd like to make a difference. I just don't know how to do it. And that's what this book is a result of.
2: How is Mike Pence viewed these days in Indiana?
0: (laughs) Well, you know, he's a former governor, former vice president. Uh, We're proud that he's from the state. Uh, There's a lot of mixed emotions on Mike Pence. But uh, yeah, that's, That's an interesting discussion going on.
2: I want you to uh, explain to us the true facts about the role of faith in America.
0: Well, from my perspective, uh, and having done some research for this book, I think people should be encouraged. um, Because we still have the structure in place that the Founding Fathers uh, created. Uh, And we are unique in the history of the world. Americans, I think we need to realize that America is unique in the history of the world because our government doesn't come from a royal family. We haven't had to deal with dictatorships. And the reason is that Americans are part of a system where we, the people, still have a say. We still have the ability to run for office, to uh, weigh in, to express ourselves Uh, to exercise our freedom of speech, our freedom of religion and conscience, that is all still accessible to us. Now, it's starting to diminish. It's starting to be um, attacked. And also, I think the foundation is starting to crumble. And another reason I wrote this book is to kind of wake people up and say, you know what? The whole basis of our form of government was made with the assumption, one assumption, and that was that, a moral and religious people would always be involved in this government or else it wasn't going to work. And the founders, those who formed this government, said that over and over again in their writings, um, in in, in the way they they presented things. It was definitely a theme that I read. And so I think we need to be encouraged that we are unique in the history of the world. We have the ability to actually speak our mind, uh, to stand up for what we believe in, and to get involved in our government, it's not reliant on, you know, what our, our family lineage is. It's not reliant on how much money we have. Anybody can get involved. And if I'm a fine arts teacher, you know, loves writing music and I can get involved, anybody can do it.
2: My guest in Howe, Indiana, Christy Chavers Stutzman. We're talking about her book, The Spiritual Price of Political Silence. Christy, I want you to get into this topic. It's a it's a, a, a deep understanding that you can share with us about the humanistic philosophies mm. that have that, that mm-hmm. have been that have been targeting faith in America for the past century. Am I right on that?
0: You're exactly right. It has been a century, possibly even earlier, but from what I understand and what I've read, um, there was a cultural humanist Marxist philosophy. That came over to America from the Critical Theory University and College in in Germany. Now we know it as Critical Race Theory and other other terms, but it was called Critical Theory back in the day. Wilhelm Reich was one of the you know in, intellectuals who was trying to basically say that uh, humanism should win the day. Was arguing for socialism and communism, and they were experimenting, you know, on different civilizations around the world, and every time it fails. They say, well, our utopia is just around the corner. Maybe we did something wrong. Let's do it better next time. And when they came to America, they targeted our children. They targeted our institutions of higher learning, and then they realized they needed to target further down the list in our education system. And so we're looking at probably uh, four generations who have had to deal with curriculum and agenda in our public schools and in our institutions of higher learning uh, where there is definitely a an agenda of targeting uh, young minds to convince them that the humanistic philosophy is better. Um, In his book, The Mass Psychology of Fascism, uh, Wilhelm Reich talks about the family, the family unit. He says the family is the authoritarian, oppressive culture in miniature. So whenever you have someone who does not believe that there is a God, who believes that man is the ultimate authority and wants to actually become, their new buzzword, transhuman, um, they are going to do everything they can to reject any type of natural order in the world, any type of natural laws that exist that we see in science and have been proven by science or have been proven by working you know, for society in general and in our culture in general. They are going to try to up, upend them and uh, destroy them. So this man-centered socialist society, which is their goal, um, has a large swath of our society today rejecting Judeo-Christian values. And then we start seeing how society functions without natural order. You know, we have the, an, an, an anarchy of the mind, of the individual mind. We have an anarchy in society as a whole, and that becomes the norm. And we're, we're seeing, you know, violent riots in the streets. We're seeing lack of concern for others, uh, a total focus on self. Uh, there's no discipline in the schools. I mean, uh, welfare state, we got growing fatherlessness, normal, normalization of promiscuity in our youth. The list goes on and on. And so in this book, I basically say in the beginning, look, what America did from the beginning around the world was good, and there was so much good, and it was hard for me to list in this book. And the reason we were able to do good in the world was that we were following the natural order established by God, and, and that works. It works every time.
2: My guest is Christy Stutzman. We're having a good chat with her about her book, The Spiritual Price of Political Silence. Christy, um, I want you to talk about uh, the start of our country, how America was created, the unique form of government, the spiritual, and then we'll get into some other areas, but let's go back and uh, talk about America's unique founding.
0: Sure um, boy, what a founding we had! You know, I mean, when I look back at my family, most of them came in the late sixteen hundreds and they were seeking religious freedom. That was the bottom line. They needed a place where they could actually exercise their conscience and not be afraid of government intervention and haven 't we come full circle right now? There's so many people who are intimidated uh, by investigations by the FBI and FBI raids and all these other things that we see. Targeting people of faith uh, simply for acting out on their faith. So most people came here seeking religious freedom in the beginning. There were others that came for other reasons, but I would say the vast majority that I've researched were somehow seeking freedom in some way. So when we decided um, as a country, and I would say it was a minority, not a majority, uh, that were involved in the revolution, and they said, you know— we're not going to take this abuse anymore from the mother country, which was Britain at the time. And uh, they said, we, we came here for freedom, and we want to keep that freedom. We've, we've self-governed for over 100 years at that point they've been self-governing. Uh, so when their own self-government was usurped, that's where they drew the line. And so they decided to push back, and they knew it was a risk. They knew they could lose to the greatest military power in the world at the time. And they took it on and uh, somehow won. And it was, I believe it was a miracle from God that they actually won that. And as they formed our government, there were genius, geniuses who were coming to the table understanding the whole history of governments throughout the ages. They had studied Greece. They had studied Rome. They had studied um, all these different civilizations that had happened beforehand and figured out, all right, that worked. Mm, that didn't work, you know, so let's take a little bit of this and let's add it to this. And their basic agenda was to have a balance of power where the people were always the final say, the final authority, where the the power rested in the people, not in the leadership of the government. And, um, you know, it's it's kind of sad, uh, the situation that we're in right now, because the government um, has become more of what was feared, you know, in the beginning. Uh, But what was encouraging to me is that the structure is still there. We are not ruled by a royal family. We we have not had to deal with dictatorships. Thankfully, we've had sacrificial Americans along the way uh, serving to defend our freedoms and freedoms around the world, sacrificing themselves and their families in multiple different ways. So we still have access to be able to be involved in our government, and the government was meant to serve the people and not vice versa.
2: My guest is Christy Chavers Stutzman. We're talking about her book, The Spiritual Price of Political Silence. We've got another segment with Christy. Stay with us here. It's the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, and you're tuned in to AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. That's a good place to keep your uh, your dial uh, 24-7. So uh, we will return. And when, when Christy comes back, we're going to, Talk about providing practical steps that every American can take to be politically active right now. Stay with us.
1: More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat.
2: We're back. Christy Chavers-Stutzman is in Howe, Indiana, and we're talking with her. Christy, uh, one thing I do want to ask you, if you could have lunch today uh, with any one of our founding fathers, uh, who would would you sit with? Who would you want to take to lunch?
0: Well, I think it would be two people. It would be John and Abigail Adams. Mm. Uh, I've read read their letters back and forth while he was at the Constitutional Convention and um, the— Continental Congress, um, and they're just absolutely brilliant. I really admire the fact that they were before their time when it came to the issue of slavery. They were anti-slavery even then, and they were fighting against it there and arguing you know, for freedom for all. Um, and there's so many biblical things that they talk about in their letters back and forth. Uh, it was just really inspiring to read their letters. So I would love love to sit down with both, those, both of those geniuses and talk to them.
2: And isn't it good that those letters were saved, unlike uh, Martha Washington, who burned uh, some, almost all, all of her correspondence. And uh, his, historians yeah. are still grieving over that, aren't they?
0: Yes, it was a huge loss, huge loss to the country. And I can see what Martha's you know, motivation for doing that. She didn't. She shared him with the world, really, uh, for their whole married life. And so that was kind of her way of keeping part of it to herself. But, boy, it was a loss for us.
2: Christy, uh, explain to us uh, what are practical steps uh, that every American could take to be politically active right now?
0: Well, when we see the issues facing our country, it's no I don't think it's any different than any other time in history where we truly believe that there are some things that need to be changed. Uh, throughout our history, we have had the ability as Americans to look at our societal problems and woes and say, boy, we, we need to do better. And one way we can do better is by passing good, good legislation and good laws and making sure that our freedoms are preserved. So there's so many practical things you can do and in this book I kind of divided into three sections the one is the refresher course on America's history and what was done in the world uh, the middle part is an exploration of this cultural Marxism and then the last part talks about how how you can get involved and uh, from you know being a fine arts teacher you know and and a composer I really had to refresh myself on what to do and I found it was more it was easier than I thought. It was simpler than I thought. And what you do is you show up. So start attending school board meetings. It's going to take a little time or a commissioner's meeting or go to a reception for a state rep, you know, uh, candidate or uh, just get involved in some way. And it's easier, I mean, today than ever. You can go look on their websites. You can look for email addresses for their campaign manager. Um, you can start a communication there. Uh, and you can find out when there will be town halls um, all that is doable. Uh, one thing that I found that was very uh, effective was to get involved in a local race, whether it's school board or commissioner or state rep. Get involved. Walk in a parade with them. Uh, do a phone, phone banking day. Uh, learn how they are getting their word out to people. And as you do that, you'll get to know their staff. Their campaign manager usually stays with them when they are elected, But if we don't vet them in the beginning at the local level, then when they run for the next office, it's going to be too late because they already have name recognition. People are used to voting for them. They're seeing their name. So we really need to vet them in the beginning, regardless of what they're going to be making decisions on. Make sure they check all the boxes that you're looking for in a leader at a higher level. Uh, But yeah, it's easy to get involved. You can actually lobby your legislator, which I've written about in the book, it's really easy. And as a constituent, as a voter, uh, you are the boss. And so when you show up to a state house or to a commissioner's office, you are the boss and they should stop whatever they're doing and listen to you and and take note. I was uh, amazed by a group of mothers who got upset about an issue that was being considered at our state house and showed up in droves with you know strollers and diaper bags and booster seats and kids and cookies, and they lobby their legislators and boy they they the legislators took notice for sure of those moms taking time out of their busy schedule to be there and advocate for an issue that they were concerned about.
2: What prompted you to uh run for office, and what do you say to people uh, about that option it's, it's a It's a big one. What do you tell them?
0: It is. Well, you have to be prepared to put your reputation in God's hands, first of all. Um, it's up to him whether he you know, allows you to serve or not, but you have to be willing to put yourself out there. It's not going to be pretty sometimes. On the local level, it's not too bad. If you get in the federal level, it's going to be a little stickier. Uh, but be willing to articulate what you believe and why you believe it. Uh, and second of all, realize that you can make a difference. Whether you come from a business background, from an educational background, what you bring to the table matters, and your perspective and your worldview is going to have an influence. And if we're not if we're not all sitting at the table, uh, sharing in the discussion, uh, that we're not going to have a say in the final decision. So I would say, when you run for office, uh, realize that uh, you need to be solid in what you believe and why you believe it. And then also be ready uh, for an open dialogue and to uh, list, be a listener. Um, but yeah, running for office is is a little bit challenging, but there's there's training you can take, and you can uh, you can really learn quickly. I, I'm come from a, you know nonprofit fundraising background. Well, that really translated into fundraising for campaigns as well. I never realized the tools that I held in my hands were so effective. Uh, but your experience in business is key. Your experience. Um, In education, and other areas, it's very, very important to have those people at the table speaking truth.
2: Has the United States ever been a Christian nation?
0: Well, I think from the beginning it was founded on Judeo-Christian values, uh, on those principles. There was no doubt in in all of the reading that I've done and all the original documents that these folks were dedicated to the moral principles that you find in the Bible— Mm-hmm. So they truly based this um, this government and this country um, on Judeo-Christian principles and, and morals. So, yes, I would say that this has been a Christian nation from the beginning, um, and it's up to us if it's going to continue. Uh, but one of the reasons I ran was that it is important for all people to be at the table from every background, every walk of life, and every faith practice. We all need to be there and that was the whole plan. And if you're not there, uh, your voice isn't heard, and you cannot be salt and light in those in the halls of uh, the State House or Congress, wherever you, whatever you run for.
2: Uh, Christy, what is your advice to a Christian who does run? Uh, what are some uh, warning signals? What are some things to be aware of or alert to?
0: Well, be aware that our culture has definitely been targeted, and it is changing because generations have been inundated and indoctrinated uh, with this humanist worldview instead of a Christian worldview. So be aware of that. And there, you will be attacked and targeted uh, for your faith when you speak out, just like Speaker Mike Johnson and others have been. Uh, they will be targeted because they are standing for truth. And, you know, regardless of what circle you're in, uh, whether you're politics or whether you're in some other circle, business, uh, regardless, you will probably face opposition. Uh, That is part of, you know, our calling and part of what we've always experienced in the world. So don't let that intimidate you. Uh, Be bold uh, for your faith. Know what you believe and why you believe it. Be able to uh, share that with others confidently and in love. I think we need to be marked by graciousness, kindness, love, openness. But we also need to be extremely bold in the culture that we live in, and we start our culture first of all in our hearts. Uh, that the culture needs to start with us, and then it needs to move to our family. Uh, we need to create a culture in our homes, and then that will influence others in our community, our educational system, our churches, and our businesses. So uh, be solid in who you believe, in, in what you believe, in who you are, um, and then speak boldly. We need strength. We need courage right now. We need courageous faith and leadership.
2: Christy, I want you to break down uh, the title of your book, The Spiritual Price of Political Silence. Uh, what, what, what does that mean exactly?
0: So, I truly believe that America, and as Americans, we are paying a spiritual price. When you look around at the high uh, suicide rate right now, drug addiction, uh, the, just the complete chaos that we see all around us, and especially in the hearts of our children and our schools. Um, I truly believe we are paying a spiritual price for the church around the turn of the century deciding, you know, that's not our calling. We're not supposed to be in government. We're not supposed to be involved. Uh, we're just going to focus on our mission. Well, there was a break in the in the church regarding that. And I think what we missed in that moment was the fact that we aren't just the church in America. Uh, America is unique in that our government is made up of we the people. So if we are not being salt and light in absolutely every aspect of our nation, including the government, then we are not doing our responsibility. We're not fulfilling our duty as Americans. It's a birthright. So we have a birthright of involvement, and it doesn't matter what our, what our background is. Uh, as Christians— Um, Even as non-believers, it's still our responsibility as Americans, if we exercise our freedom and enjoy this freedom, we also have a responsibility to be involved in the public arena. Uh, So the spiritual price that we are paying right now for having withdrawn from what we see as the political process uh, is very evident. And I I truly believe that we need to – we are at a crossroads, and we need to right now take action on a a huge scale – Uh, I think it's all hands on deck right now because the ship is sinking. Uh, The world is watching. When I was in Israel, uh, our guide took us to the Mount of Beatitudes, and we read Matthew 5. And when we got to the part where it says, "Ye are the salt of the earth. The salt hath lost its favor. Wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. "Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on the hill cannot be hid. He stopped, and he turned to us, and he said, I want you to know I am not a person of faith. But I am an Israeli citizen. I'm a Jew by birth. And he said, I want you to know, as a citizen of Israel, you have done this thing that Jesus said. America has been a light to the world, and I am pleading with you now, do not stop. If you don't stop, I don't know who else will take your place. And that's the point we're at right now. The world is watching the foundations crumble, and it is up to us to step to the plate and say, not on our watch.
2: Christy Chaver Stutzman has been our guest. The book, The Spiritual Price of Political Silence. We have more. Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando.
1: More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word.
2: Now, here's Pat. Uh, Christy Chavers Stutzman, our guest in that first segment in How Indiana, talking about her book, The Spiritual Price of Political Silence. Well, we go from Indiana to Clovis, California. J. Otis Ledbetter, the lead pastor at Sunrise Church in Clovis. We're going to talk about his book, In the Secret Place for God and You Alone. Otis Welcome to Orlando. It's uh, so nice to meet you and visit with you.
3: Thank you. Thanks for having me on, Pat. I really appreciate it.
2: Tell me about this book. How did it come about?
3: Well, it's uh, uh, it's been the way I pray. It's been the way I communicate with God all my, really all my life, ever since even preteen. When I lost some some friends through death, I I found a place in my dad's church, where uh only I could go, and nobody else knew it, and my little body would slip through uh some studs in the wall where the where the wallboard wasn't there, and I could be alone and and as a As I got a little older, I always wondered, well, there's a physical place I could be alone. I wonder if there's a spiritual component in this where I could be alone with God, and nobody would know what he and I were talking about and I ran across psalm ninety one psalm ninety one from that point be uh became my life's verse. He that dwells in the secret place, talking to some um to some of the Hebrew scholars at a seminary out here near they told me that that word he that dwells in the secret place has a redundancy in it, and it would read in the secret place place mm. so there is there is a place where we can go, and I found that in the scriptures and um that little room in my dad's church now wouldn't suffice any longer. Now I found the place was within me, down deep within me, where I could go and I would be out of Satan's reach for God and me alone. So I've used that all my life.
2: And that's how you open your book, Chapter One, A Secret Place Out of Satan's Reach.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Then you go to this topic, Otis, the place... We've always wanted. What does that mean?
3: Well, um, in the secret place, he, um, he he says it more than once. Uh, if it was just once in Scripture, well, that would be good enough. But uh, in the Psalm, David talks about it more than once. He he talks about it in Psalm twenty-seven. Talks about it in Psalm thirty-four, and it's a place. And um, then. If you go past all the 400 years of silence and get into the New Testament, uh, Jesus talks about uh, being alone with him in secret. He calls it it a closet. Get into your closet. And he says, what's done in secret, I will reward you openly. And so I think we all long for a place where um, in the darkness of this world and in the lack of clarity, I think, in most, most Christians' lives, is this God speaking to me, or is this my own desires, is this my own thoughts? We long for a place where we can get clarity with our, uh, in our relationship with God and know it. So it's a place I don't, I don't really—I've never talked to anybody who, who doesn't want that place. So we all want it, and mm-hmm. God has prepared it for us.
2: Next topic, reserve for two. Explain that one.
3: Well, the beautiful thing about it is it's a secret place for God and you alone. I say that because it's a place where your spouse can't go. It's a place where your pastor can't go with you. It's a place where your children can't go. Nobody can go there but you and and God. And it's down deep inside you. And people say, well, isn't it a, a person who hasn't come to the Lord? Can't they be alone with their thoughts? Well, yes, they can, but this is not alone with your thoughts. that That is your communing with a, a higher power in your mind. You see, God doesn't go, uh, he, he doesn't deal so much in the senses. It's not a sensual thing. Or, By that, I mean in the five senses. As a matter of fact, there are people, if, if, if those senses were, if I could say they're like switches, five switches, and if we could, turn one switch off, you may not be able to hear. If we could turn another switch off, you might not be able to see. You would be blind. If we could turn another switch off, you wouldn't be able to taste or touch, that sort of thing. So those are the senses. That's how we communicate horizontally with the world. I'm talking about uh, communicating verti- vert- vertically in a horizontal world. Vertically is not through the senses. It's through the spirit. And if you shut those, though, any of those senses off, God can still commune with you through the Spirit. He doesn't need the senses to commune with you. He communes through the Spirit inside you that's been made alive by our acceptance of Jesus Christ, and that secret place is there for He in us. Now, for instance, in history, a person like Helen Keller, she had two of those switches off. That did not uh, stop her um, spirit from knowing, from hearing God, and from seeing what he is doing in her secret place, if that makes sense.
2: That sure does. Now tell me about this, uh, uh, Pastor. Out of the chaos, into the calm,
3: what does that mean? Well, especially when danger swirled around David, and (laughs) a lot of danger swirled around him. He was a man of war. Um, And when it swirled around him, Uh, The Bible talks about David as being a man after God's own heart. David learned to cherish his own secret place in the presence of the Lord out of Satan's reach, and he got clarity there. In fact, if I could just mention a couple of scriptures uh, that talks about this. Psalm 31, verse 19, it says, For those who trust in you, you shall hide them in the secret place of your presence. So where that secret place is, is where God is. That's his presence. And then in, in verse 5 of chapter 27, he tells us how we can get clarity out of the out of the chaos of our life. He says, in the time of trouble, he will hide me in the pavilion, in the secret place of uh, his tabernacle, he shall hide me. And he even goes further than that of... of to go further and learn about the pavilion in the scriptures, the pavilion is where um, a, a person of uh, note would go into their tabernacle. When they would sit in the pavilion, the pavilion was raised above, above everybody else, so that person in the pavilion sitting there could see all the crowd that would come in. And <clears throat> he was above. He was above everybody else. David mentions that in that same verse when he says, uh, um, "You'll set me high upon the rock, and now my head shall be lifted above my enemies all around me." In other words, David got clarity going to that secret place, being above the chaos of the day, and he could see much more clearly of what God wanted for him. And isn't that what we want? And that secret place become totally aware of being completely protected. Um, and, and that same experience can be ours when, when we meet God in the secret place, lifting us up above all of that darkness, all of that chaos, so we can see clearly, a better perspective in life, if I could say that.
2: Otis Ledbetter in Clovis, California is our guest. We're talking about his book, In the Secret Place for God and You Alone. Uh, Otis, you get to this topic, when it's time for a change. Uh, what are you writing there?
3: Well, um, I used uh, a, uh, um, <clears throat> some anecdotal evidence in, in this place because we all know there comes to a t- we've all been at the time where there needs to be a change in our life. Our trajectory has been uh, wrong our uh, our journey has been bumpy, and we find that we're on the road where we want to go. We need to have a course adjustment and when it's time for that change uh, uh, if you're facing strategic things you you want a place that you can trust where you can know you can go quickly to that point and and know that God is uh, God is in it. And, and I use, when I say it, it's the reason I wrote the book, because I was very happy in Southern California in ministry. I, I was a professor. My wife and I were professors at a college in Southern California. We were very happy. We were in a church, and in that church, uh, we had already proven ourselves, you know, how you have to do that. People trust you. And now— Uh, you're set in a good place. Well, we were taking a nap on Sunday afternoon after Sunday church and a good meal after church, and the phone rang, and it was my dad. And I uh, asked him, I said, hey, Pops, what's up? And he said, hey, Otis, I just want to tell you the church up here voted today 100% to call you as pastor. And I said, well, Dad, (laughs) there's two things. First of all, I'm really happy where I am. And second, I wasn't candidating. And he said, well, then you've got a choice to make, don't you? And he hung up the phone. <laughs> and I went back to my wife, and she said, who was that? I said, "That was dad. What did he want? And I said, oh, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't believe it anyway. So I'm, I was sleepy. I went back to sleep. And I never talked to my wife about it because I knew she, didn't, she wouldn't want to leave her friends go to a place in Fresno and Clovis, California. It really wasn't a place we wanted to live. We'd only seen it from how Freeway 99 to where my dad's church was, and it wasn't very good. And where we lived, we liked it. So I told God, He began to work in my heart that this is where He wants me. Now, there was going to be a change. It was going to be a big change. My whole family was going to be uprooted. My three kids uh, were going to be uprooted my wife. And I couldn't make that alone. It's time for a change. I went to God and I said, uh, "Well, you know what? If you can change my heart, then you can change Gail's heart, a wife's heart. So I'm going to wait." And in that secret place, God and I communed. and I be- became—it became much more evident to me that, that's, that that is where I should be. One day, I was in my office, and um,
2: Otis, hold, was, hold your yeah. thought. We got to take a break. When we come back, I want you to finish this story. All Uh, right. Otis Ledbetter, our guest, we're talking about his book, In the Secret Place. It's the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, folks, right here on AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and
1: FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word.
2: Now, here's Pat. Pastor Otis Ledbetter is our guest. We're talking about his book, In the Secret Place. Otis, I want you to finish that story.
3: Uh, that, uh, I looked up, and uh, my wife's walking in my office, and she rarely came to the office, um, so I knew something was going on, but I knew something was going on more when she turned around and closed the door behind her. And I thought, just like all guys do, okay, she closed the door. What have I done? Um, And my mind starts racing. So I would have some kind of excuse at least. And she walked over to my desk and she stood in front of the desk and she put her hands on her hips. At that point, I really knew I was in trouble. And I looked up and said something (laughs) like, what? (laughs) What? What? And she said, Otis, if God calls you to Fresno, let's go. Mm. Pat, you could have pushed me over with a feather. I'd never mentioned it. We hadn't talked about it. But God in my secret place was working with me. He worked with her in her secret place and clarified with her, her, her coming to me clarified that this was God's will. And it was so clear. And when we got to Fresno, actually the church was in some trouble, um, and I didn't know about that trouble. And when we were here the first month or two, actually the first year or two, I needed the clarity of that secret place in order for me to stay because uh, it, it would have been easy to walk away. Um But the clarity, setting me up above everything, seeing things clearly, made me stay. And I've been here for 38 years now.
2: Mm. Fascinating. Otis Ledbetter is our guest. Otis, uh, tell us about this topic, our enemy shut out. Uh, Explain.
3: Well, um, at the beginning of the book, I I sort of give people uh, an idea of of being out of Satan's reach um, God can shut him out uh he needs to be shut out it, there's no there's there's no leader world leader uh that would call the enemy into the joint chiefs of chiefs of staff and say hey come sit in because we're getting ready to take you on and you might want to know our plans no we would not reveal our plans ahead of time the element of surprise is very valuable. And we see this, uh, this very thing in um, the life of Daniel, when Nebuchadnezzar said to his wise men, I had a dream and I want you to interpret that dream. And um, they said, okay, King, tell us what you dreamed. We'll interpret it. And he said, no, I know you guys. I want to be sure you know what you're talking about. And I want you to tell me what I dreamed. And then, when you tell me what I dream, then you tell me the interpretation, and then I'll believe you. And it panicked them, and they said, well, only the people that dwell with the gods can do that. We can't do that. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, you you better do it, or I'll cut your heads off and burn your houses down. And that's motivation. And I think they said to themselves, well, we know a guy. And they went to Daniel. And Daniel told him not to worry. He went to Nebuchadnezzar, told the king. Give him time, and he would come back and tell him what the dream was and what he dreamed. And Daniel didn't go to his friends and talk about it. He didn't. um, He went straight to God. Every day when he prayed, it was in the secret place. And God revealed the the dream and the, um, the interpretation in a vision, in a secret place. That's out of Satan's reach. You see, Satan does not know what you're thinking. We cannot make the mistake of giving him the attributes of the divine. He is not omniscient. He is not omnipresent. He is he is not omnipotent. He is a single individual created being just like me or you, only in the different form, angelic form. Um, and he can only be at one place at one time. Pat, I doubt that any of us have ever Confronted Satan head on, at least for me, I'm I'm not important enough. But he's got a third of the angels that went with him when he rebelled against God and his minions, and they certainly never rest. And they know what they're doing, and they know us very well. But they cannot read our thoughts. Satan does not know what you're thinking, and um, Daniel knew that, and. When God revealed to him the dream and the interpretation of the dream, Daniel didn't run to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say, guys, guess what God told me? Because he knew that that um, in real time, the devil can hear too. He's not deaf. He would have to be dumb and deaf if he couldn't understand what we were saying out loud. And so he didn't say it out loud until he got on the proper stage at the proper time where only God could get to glory. And he revealed it um, because Nebuchadnezzar said, I'll give you half the kingdom <clears throat> if you do that. Well, there was a there was a lot to gain in having that information. And so when, when you, the enemy is shut out, he needs to be shut out because he doesn't need that information until... It gets out of embryo form and has legs to stand on. That it can take uh, what he would bring against it.
2: Now, <clears throat> talk to us about uh, finding your future, Otis.
3: Um, <clears throat> I think this is a uh, this may be one of my uh, my favorite I, in in that in that particular chapter. I talk about something called life litter. Um, I, I believe people are struggling with what's called life litter to the point that they can't, they stumble over that and can't get to where God wants them to, or they can't understand what he's, what he's saying. And, um, you know, he, his, he wants to reveal, um, his will to us, uh, and it won't be through some ecstatic, supernatural experience. Mainly it's through his quiet promptings in in your heart. And for us, sometimes we are simply distracted by having too much clutter in our lives, Life, which I think is life litter. Um, we trudge through the, the daily trials uh, or our our you know, our schedule, and sometimes we get so cluttered by cynicism and doubt and weariness, life will will wear you out, that we're unable to clearly perceive what's happening in our lives. You know, there was one time, I'm not that computer savvy, I'm in the older generation, and those things frustrate me sometimes, I think more than they help me, but at one time, I noticed that my computer was operating very slowly, and, um, you know, In these days, if it's five seconds late or 10 seconds late, we think, well, we've got to get another computer. This thing's not working right. We want it instantly. But my computer-savvy son noticed my frustration and said, hey, Dad, let me check out your your computer for you. And he informed me that it had accumulated too many temporary internet files, file memory of those places I'd visited on the Internet, and he said, Bet, your your, your computer is slow because it was bogged down with useless information from the past. And as soon as we dumped those old files that were taking up vital memory, the computer gained new life, began to perk up. And I think we just got to get our lives unclogged. Uh, we were never meant to be a debris pile for collecting and living under accumulated cares, that overloads us with life's useless baggage. And the way we dig out from and under those, well, Peter said it in the first book to those believers that he cared about. He said, cast all your care on him because he cares for you. David said it in Psalm 55. He said, cast your burdens on the Lord. He's going to sustain you. The casting is the activity that happens best in the secret place. You get those things out of your life so that life runs more clearly. Those things in the past will really bog you down.
2: Now, explain to us waiting on God, Otis.
3: I think that's the most difficult thing any of us do. Um, David also said um, that God said to him, um, Stop striving, be still, and know that I'm God. Um, And um, in waiting on God, I think, um, as I did when um, I was looking to come to Fresno to pastor this church, I was waiting on God to change the heart of, of my wife. We also went to our children before we made that move. She made a good dinner and we actually sat on the floor around the coffee table. And um, my son was, I think he was about 12 or 13. My daughter was 11. And my second daughter had just been born. She was She was just about a year old at that time. Um, And (laughs) we sat down, and I said to them, "Uh, I want to talk to you about something. And um, their response was was comical. Um, But in the end, when I told them what God wanted, God had prepared their little hearts. They said to me, Pat, they said, Dad, if that's where God is leading you, then we don't have any choice we need to go. Um, and and I, I believe that you can harm people by jumping ahead of God. I mean, Saul saw that when God didn't answer him right away, he numbered his troops. It got him into big time, big time trouble with God. And there were some things he couldn't do. So waiting on God is so critical so that we know his will. He Not waiting on him is risky business. Waiting on him He will show you he's got something better for you than what you even thought. Folks,
2: our guest, and he's been a good one, Otis Ledbetter, Clovis, California. He's the lead pastor at Sunrise Church, and we've been talking about his book, In the Secret Place for God and You Alone. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We do this every weekend. Always so pleased when you plug in with us. And we'll be back next weekend for more right here at AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Have a great week ahead. A uh, very Merry Christmas to you, and God bless you. Thank you for
1: joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time, where faith comes by hearing AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word.